While we're still standing, let us turn to Luke chapter 10. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16 from this delightful gospel. Luke 10, 1 through 16. Hear the word of God. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whoever, or, but whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. All men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Please be seated. Well, needless to say, it is a great pleasure to be here at the Cathedral Church of the Advent with all of your years of service and proclaiming the gospel. And I've been asked during these two days together to speak to the issue of the Christian mission. And by that we mean essentially the external mission of the church. Now, I don't know exactly why I was asked to do that, but I'm delighted to do it. I spend a lot of my time in life thinking about and participating in and praying for and studying the mission, the external mission of the church. So it pleases me no end to be assigned that task. And especially in a church like Advent, where you have a reputation for expounding the gospel around the world and being God's ministers in various places around the world, in Syria and Lebanon, in Rwanda, and especially right here in Birmingham, Alabama. So it's a little bit like carrying coals to Newcastle. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with carrying coals to Newcastle. Newcastle people need coals too, you know what I mean? So we'll study together this great theme because I've found through the years it's the people like ourselves who are committed to the mission of the church who more than anybody else need to be reminded about the essential nature of the Christian mission, especially in the day in which we're living. We live in a day of moral and theological declension, but with that decline, 
There is also a declension in the external mission of the church. One can see it clearly in our decreasing impact on many areas of the world and even of our cities and of the populace in general. And there are some theories about that as the Christian community continues to decline in its influence, that we need to redo our strategy. And I agree with that. But sometimes the implication or the inference that some people may draw is that that new strategy needs to be a little bit more passive, a little quieter. Maybe we would just call it uh, evangelical presence. Just be faithful where you are. You don't have to say very much, but just be a good Christian wherever you are. And I want to say that Jesus lived in a day of minority. Uh, he was one among 100 million people who knew the gospel. And by the time he ascended into heaven, maybe 500 knew in a world population of 100 million. That's what we call a minority. And he told them to go to all the nations and make disciples out of every one of them. So what I find with our being in increasingly minority status is all the more reason to be on the offensive. I don't mean to be offensive, although I've done that plenty of times. But I mean to be on the offensive in an athletic sense, not just defensive, which we must be as well but to be offensive. That's the external mission of the church. And there's probably no person to whom we could turn than the Lord Jesus Christ to be better informed. And there's hardly a text in the scriptures that's better than this one to train us on the job what it is we're to be doing as God's people. Now, a few of you were at the Sunrise Sinners meeting. Now, I know everyone wasn't there because there are more here than were there. These people were up at Sunrise, and they were sinners, I have to say. It was obvious. So these Sunrise Sinners came for breakfast, and we covered the first two verses together. And we intentionally didn't tape it so that we could say to you at noon today, no, 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 you missed it. But we made five points. I'm just going to simply tell you what they were, and then we're going to pick up with verse 3 in our time, in our few minutes together today. The first thing we said was that the Christian mission is every Christian's mission. Jesus sent out 72. He didn't send out just the missionary force out of the 72. He sent out all 72. Secondly, we learned that the Christian mission is a divinely commissioned mission. When you became a Christian, just like Peter, James, and John, he called you to follow him and he'd make you fishers of men. And then he sent them out. He sent them. And the word here is, is the same word from which we get the word apostle. So we're not apostles with a capital A, but we're all apostles with a small a. We're the sent out ones. We're divinely commissioned. Thirdly, we noticed this morning that it is a team mission. He sent them out two by two. You should not try this alone. When you're in the Christian mission, you must do it with partners. And you all certainly know how to do that as you've partnered with many people around the world and here in Birmingham. We saw that it was also a global mission. He said, go to every town and village, the highly populated and the less populated. You go everywhere with the gospel, no exceptions, particularly given the fact that the historic context of this text is that they have moved into hated Samaria. The Galileans, the Judeans, hated the Samaritans. And when Jesus gave them missionary training, he said, all of y'all, because Jesus we know was a southerner, all of y'all go into Samaria. They said, Samaria? My mother told me never to go in there. You're going because you're on my mission. So there may be places we don't go. There's no place he won't go. So it's a global mission. And then, of course, we saw in verse 2, it's a prayerful mission. And when Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, he said, here's the answer. Pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. 
that he would raise up workers. And we mentioned this morning, some of those workers are sitting in the pews this, this noon. We're the workers that we're praying for. And even more of them will be the children and grandchildren of the people in these pews. And what I've found through the years is that as the parents commit themselves to the mission of Jesus Christ, their children will do what they only dreamt of doing. And their children will do what the children were only dreaming of doing. And so when you have gospel renewal in a church, you'll find that the aggression and the risk-taking increases with the generations. And woe be to any parent or grandparent who seeks to resist their child from giving their lives to the full expression of the gospel, both in its demonstration physically and in its proclamation verbally. So that's where we ended. Let's pick up now with verse 3. I want you to notice the sixth point. Don't you like starting with six points? The sermon will go over faster that way. So the sixth point is this. The Christian mission is a costly mission. Now we know this from our own history, don't we? Our own Christian history. But sometimes when we end up in privileged, safe environments, we begin to think, that you know, this Christian life is nice. It, you know, you, you're dealing with honest people. You have wonderful friends. You get to worship freely in a wonderful country. Isn't Christianity wonderful? It's so safe. And I want to say to you, that's the minority voice. And if you look at verse 3, you see the majority voice of the church through the ages. Jesus says to them, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Last time I checked, wolves eat lambs. And Jesus said to all of his 72 when he sent out the church into their mission, this is dangerous work. Now I don't find that, that folks who don't believe the gospel would dare send their children or grandchildren into dangerous parts of the world. Why should they do that? It's not worth the risk. But with people who actually believe in the necessity for the knowledge of Jesus Christ in order to be to have eternal life they will do the Christian mission at the risk of their lives. As a matter of fact, they must do it at the risk of their lives. In our church sanctuary in Memphis, we have up on the upper uh, parts of the walls the Apostles' Shields. And, of course, many Anglican Episcopal churches have the Apostles' Shields. That's where the Presbyterians got it. But it goes back uh, uh, probably a thousand years. Each apostle has a shield. It's kind of like a coat of arms. And if you'll look at them carefully, what you'll find is that on every apostle's shield is some instrument of execution. Peter has an upside-down cross because he was crucified upside down. Paul has a sword by which he was beheaded for his witness of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Thomas, you'll find three stones on his shield because he went to India to share the gospel and he was stoned to death because he preached of a crucified, resurrected Jesus. And on and on it goes. Every one of them except for John, who wasn't executed, he was only exiled on the Isle of Patmos for his witness. But all the other apostles were put to death for their Christian faith because they expressed it with boldness and clarity. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's the testimony of the church. That's the majority report of the General Assembly of the church. And we must remember it. Jesus didn't send us out into safe places. He sent us out as lambs among wolves. You know, in the Book of Common Prayer, 
uh, you'll find the Romans 8 text there for funerals. And it's a wonderful text. I mean, I've read it many, many times because it's also in the Book of Common Worship in the Presbyterian Church. And you, you know how it goes. The Apostle Paul asked this re rhetorical question. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us and so on and so forth. Now in both the Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopal Church and the Book of Common Worship in the Presbyterian Church, there's a verse that has been airbrushed out. Did you realize this? That verse 36 got left out. Let me read the text again with verse 36. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Really good for a funeral, eh? So, of course, we're, we're nice. We, we airbrush that verse out and we just go straight to the answer. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors. And it, it's suitable, it's all true, and it's suitable for funerals, but we miss the main point of the text. Here's what Paul is teaching. He says that you Christian folks think that when your relatives get put to death and beheaded because they're Christians, that somehow you've been separated from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Somehow you must have done something wrong. You're being disciplined or punished by the Lord. Or when you face whippings or imprisonment, you're, you've been separated from the love of Christ. Paul says, it's just the opposite. No, he says here, it's, it's written in the Old Testament. For your sake, O oh Lord, we're being killed all the day long. And for, Lord, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In other words, we're taught that basically we're fed the word of God like sheep. We're fattened by the word of God so that we can go out and get slaughtered. And Paul says, when that happens to you, it's the opposite of God abandoning you. It's actually God powerfully working through you. And that this is what the whole Christian life is about. is to lay our lives down for the gospel ministry. It's a very costly ministry. And what would you expect when you're proclaiming a gospel that says that the death of the Son of God provides you life? What should that message demand of its messengers? Well, nothing less than our whole lives. Now, I'm, I'm a Scotsman by heritage, and whenever someone tells me this is going to cost you, I grab my back pocket. You know, we Scotsmen, we're, we're famous for our stringent ways when it comes to finances. You know what I mean? You know the story that there were three men uh, having tea uh, in London. Uh, one was from Alabama, one was an Englishman, and one was a Scotsman. And for some reason, all three of them had a fly in their bowl of soup. Well, the Alabaman, he found that easy. He just flicked the fly out. He kept eating his soup. The Englishman, of course, insisted on an entirely new set, including a new spoon and everything else. And the Scotsman, he picked up the fly by the wings and he said, spit it out. <laughs> so I know what it's like to hold on to everything you've got. It, some of us do that by nature. But when we meet Jesus Christ and we hear the call of the gospel, we enter into a very costly business. So let's have no complaints about the resistance that we face, the challenges within the church and outside the church. This has always been our calling. Uh, 
my son uh, practices law here in Birmingham. He's actually here this, this noon uh, in this congregation. And I'll never forget when he was in the Marines and they were getting ready to invade a major city in Afghanistan against the Taliban. And uh, he and his other captain in the company uh, had uh, predicted they probably would lose 10% of their men on this invasion. I didn't know that until later. But uh, they had satellite phones, and so Ben called home the night before the invasion. I don't know if he thought this might be his last conversation or what. But uh, he told us about their plans for the next day, and I just said to him, Ben, how shall we pray for you? He had a very simple answer. He just said, pray that I will do my duty. I suggest the church can learn a lot from the Marines. You know what I mean? We just need to pray for the Lord to help us to do our duty. And it really doesn't matter what it costs you because you know why? When you die, if you're in Christ, real life really begins. <laughs> I'm enjoying life now. I got 11 grandchildren. It's a great time. It can't be compared to what I'm going to get in just a few years or days, depending upon God's providence. Well, we've got to move on real fast. And we'll probably only get one other thing said. In verses 4 through 8, we see not only that this is a costly mission, but it's what we call a faith mission. What do I mean by faith mission? It is that you don't have all the provisions before you go. Jesus said, I don't want you to go with a full pocketbook. I don't want you to empty your bank account before you take off. I don't want you even to fill your suitcase. I just want you to go and trust me. And so sometimes people who are used to having very secure lives in the, in the mission of Christ, we find ourselves reluctant if it's going to cost something in our reputations, which is the currency of the professional life, not money, it's your reputation. So anything that threatens my reputation, I tend to pull back and be hesitant. Anything that threatens my estate, I tend to pull back. And certainly anything that threatens my health. And what we're told is we're to go and we're to fulfill the mission of Christ regardless of his cost and trust him. It's a faith mission. And Jesus says, you just go from house to house. You start preaching and pass peace to others and you'll find that there are open doors. I will take care of you. Allison and I learned this in a brilliant way one time. We went to another place where you minister, which is Haiti. We had five young children at the time. One of them was too young to go with us, but we took four children, took some vacation time, and went on a mission trip to Haiti in the middle of June. Some of you have been to Port-au-Prince. You know what Port-au-Prince smells like in June. It's hot, stinky, dirty, challenging. So I was at the Atlanta airport making a transfer, and or, 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 I started out at the Atlanta airport, actually, and I said, these are our bags, and we're going to Port-au-Prince. I know I said Port-au-Prince. She heard me say Bonn, West Germany. How she heard me say that, I have no idea. But I went to Port-au-Prince along with my wife and four young children. My bags went to Bonn, West Germany. So I'm there for a week, lovely time, in Haiti in June uh, with four young children and not a pair of underwear or toothbrush to be found anywhere. Now, I'll just make a long story very short. It was an interesting week. So our bags never appeared in Port-au-Prince, as you would expect. So we get back to our home. And there, in a lovely way, our bags were waiting for us on the front porch. Isn't that nice? The bags were there. They were all there. No one had stolen anything. And let me tell you something. It's not a bad way to go because the bag is there and all the clothes are clean. You just take them right out and put them right back on the shelf. It's such an easy way to come home. But here's what I discovered. We had a wonderful week of ministry. And I discovered something. 
You don't need all that stuff. You really don't. God will make a way for you. You engage yourself in his mission and you will be amazed at how God undertakes for you. Oh, you're going you're to get killed. Uh, we, we know that. But he'll make the way for you. When James Calvert in the 19th century was going to the Fiji Islands, which was full of cannibals, and he was ready to get off the ship, his English admiral said to him, Sir, you know this place is filled with cannibals. You'll be eaten. You're going to get killed. And James Calvert, the missionary, famously said to the admiral, he said, Sir, we died before we came. And that's what Christians do. We have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You're crucified with him, you're resurrected with him, and you're doing ministry with him. And because of the hour, I must stop. (laughs) Because we are Episcopalians after all. And Presbyterians function the same way. You know, the pastor is supposed to end on time. But I want to say this to you. It's a wonderful ministry. The ministry, the mission of Jesus Christ. It is costly. But tomorrow at noon, you're going to see why we do it. It's not because we like getting killed. There's a reason we do this. And tomorrow we'll get it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this glorious mission to which you've called your people. We thank you for the great sacrifice you made for us and the sacrifice that you call us to make for the sake of this gospel ministry. We pray that you'll work upon our hearts and expand our imaginations so that even today, this noon service, we are quickened again in spirit to see how we can in new ways lay down our lives for you and the sake of the gospel here in Birmingham and around the world. And to your name, your name alone, be everlasting glory through Jesus Christ our Savior. Amen.